I remember what, about 30 years ago, I was being interviewed on Janet Parshall's America in a pro, on a program that originated in Washington, D.C. And a lady from Arkansas, Bill Clinton was president at the time, she called in and said, do you think Bill Clinton could be the Antichrist? <clears throat> and I said, well, even though he has many of the qualities <laughs> of the Antichrist, it says he'll have no desire of women, so that rules Bill <laughs> And Janet Parshall was laughing so much she had to cut to a commercial. Now, now, actually, I think that passage means he will not honor the desire of women. So I had to misinterpret it to make a point at that time. But nevertheless, he will not honor the desire of women, which is a messianic term there. That has nothing to do with my talk, <laughs> but I just thought I would throw that in here at the beginning because I'm going to be talking about the false prophet in Revelation 13, and uh, we see that the passage presents a new stage of the vision in chapter 12. Chapter 12 is about Israel uh, going into the wilderness, etc., and how God is providing starting in the midpoint of the tribulation, is protecting uh, his people uh, down in Petra. And uh, so the beast-like figures who emerged from the sea in chapter 13, first the Antichrist, as he was just talking about, uh, emerges from the sea. And the sea represents the Gentile masses of humanity, always in the book of Daniel and in the book of Revelation, in these kinds of contexts. And then the second one comes from the earth, and that's in Revelation 13, 11 through 18, which is the false prophet. And so you have that team of the Antichrist and the false prophet, both human beings, uh, and the picture of satanic warfare against Israel and the world at large is... Fulfilled in chapters, explained and fulfilled in chapters 12 through 13. And it leads to the vision of the Lamb corresponding defeat of the enemies in, of God in chapter 14. So these interludes anticipate the outpouring of God's intense judgment in the seven last plagues of chapters 15 and 16, which I think occurs in the second half of the tribulation. So during the future period of tri uh, final tribulation, a ruthless world leader with a deceptive propagandist on his side under Satan's authority persecute God's people and dominate the world. And some have said this is the satanic trinity, so to speak. You have the Antichrist, who is a Jesus Christ-type figure. You have the... Uh, false prophet who's like the Holy Spirit, and Satan himself who is like God. Now, of course, none of these created beings are like God. I'm just saying people say that there's a, uh, they're, they're trying to imitate God in this way. So the two main sections of this chapter are clearly set out by the occurrence of the words, and I saw. And of course, this occurs like 
uh, 38 times in the book of Revelation, and he's usually moving from one uh, issue to the next. And I saw this, and then I saw, and I saw, and I saw. Kind of like uh, a kid that goes uh, to uh, a park and has a wonderful time, and he goes, I did this, and I did this, and I did that, and I did that. That's kind of how it is. And uh, so, uh, a beast coming up out of the sea is the Antichrist in verse 1. And another beast coming up from the earth is mentioned in verse 11. So, I'm very strongly of the belief that the Antichrist cannot be a Jew. And there's a lot of reasons for that. He's always set in a Gentile context. And the analogy with the Roman uh, Antichrist there in Daniel 9, 24 through 27, uh, I think is very strong uh, that he is a Gentile. However, the false prophet who comes up out of the land, that could be a reference to Israel. He comes out, or it could be the earth or whatever. So I think it's possible for the false prophet to be Jewish, but not the Antichrist. And uh, so John shows how they work together under Satan's authority in verses 2 and 4 of chapter 13 to persecute God's people and to deceive and dominate the whole world during the period of the final tribulation. There was a second half especially as the focus. So... The two satanic players are the Antichrist and the false prophet and who are used of Satan to implement his program of Jewish destruction. And so in this presentation, I'll be focusing, of course, on the false prophet. So when you look in verse 11 of chapter 13, it says, And I saw, so he's starting a new section here, uh, another beast. And so they're both called beasts. Because as you learn from the book of Daniel, these beasts have animal characteristics. In fact, if you see the sequence of the four major kingdoms in the book of Daniel, the last one is so severe there's no animal apparently to compare it to. He's just called the beast. And uh, so another beast coming up out of the earth, as I've already said, And he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. I take it that he looks like a lamb, but he speaks like a beast. And many people, both the Antichrist as well as the false prophet, they believe that he's going to be physically attractive and things like that. But it's the content of what he says that is uh, very opposite of what the Bible teaches, that is good. And this this is true generally. You know, a a lot of times a person may be physically attractive or appealing, but you have to always, as a believer, listen to the content of what someone is saying, not whether they're a good speaker, a bad speaker, or whatever. And so that is the focus here in this passage. And so the phrase, another beast means, it's the Greek word, means another of the same kind. So he qualitatively has the same characteristics. And we said out of the earth refers to probably the land of Israel. Horns denote power. He's got power and authority. Like a lamb, he's a counterfeit of Jesus the lamb. 
So it's, it's this counter, and that's why it says like a lamb, because he has those characteristics. But he speaks like a dragon, and that is the satanic content that we've been referring to. And then verse 12, it says, and he exercises all authority of the first beast in his presence. And he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. Now, so this is a reference to the fact that he's the propagandist. His whole focus is to uh, enable the beast in some way to do his thing. It also, here's our term, earth dwellers. That's a participle with an article on it, those who dwell upon the earth. And as I say, that's used 11 times, and it always refers, in the book of Revelation, it always refers to unbelievers. Not a single earth dweller ever becomes a believer. And so he's saying that the ones that go after him are unbelievers. They're the ones that are going to be attracted to him. And they will worship the first beast. So the false prophet is like a John the Baptist in a sense was to Jesus, he gets people to worship the beast, which is the Jesus Christ-like figure as presented here in chapter 13. And uh, notice it says, whose fatal wound was healed. And four times in the book of Revelation, it talks about the Antichrist experiencing a wound, a fatal wound, meaning he's killed from a wound. And then it talks about him being risen from the dead. And I think I mentioned this yesterday, but I believe God is going to raise him from the dead because only God can raise someone from the dead. In fact, who's the professor at Master's Seminary who wrote his doctoral dissertation on this? I forget. Uh, he's, got, he's sick now. And, uh, New Testament professor. Well, he wrote his whole doctoral dissertation at Dallas Seminary arguing that this is a resurrection of the beast by God, because only God can do it. And a lot of people historically think, well, God, you know, Satan can't raise people from the dead, which is true. So therefore, it's a phony or fake death. But Scripture says four times, and one time in the book of Revelation, it uses the same exact phrase to refer to the resurrection of Christ. And we know that wasn't phony. So I believe this is part of the strong delusion that God sins. God's in control of this. And he's using the means of these unbelievers and these false prophets and uh, people. Why? Because the purpose of tribulation, especially from the second half onward, is to polarize people for the first time in history. uh, So that if you take the mark, that means you will never become a believer. And that's not true today. You never know if someone might become a believer on their deathbed even. You know, that's happened. But nevertheless, at this time, there's going to be this polarized of history uh, of people into two things. So, the false prophet, as we said, is the second beast from the earth. And he's called the false, false prophet in Revelation 16, 13, 19, 20. And 20 verse 10. And so those are all the references to the false prophet in the book of Revelation, which is the only place I know where it talks really about the false prophet that we can tell.
And we see in Revelation 19, 20, it says, And the beast was seized, the Antichrist, and with him the false prophet, who performed the signs in his presence. See, so he's the guy doing the miracles. By which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast, and those who worshipped his image, the Antichrist, these two were thrown alive into the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone. So the lake of fire, as we know from Jesus, was created for the devil and his angels. But no one's in the lake of fire right now. And I like to use the analogy, uh, you know, when you're arrested, you go to the local jail. And then when your sentence is given, you go to the penitentiary. Now, in Texas, where I grew up, it was Huntsville. And my... And Whenever I do something wrong, which was often as a child, uh, my mother would say, if you don't straighten up, you're going to end up in Huntsville. Where is it in Missouri? Where? Jefferson. Okay. You might end up in Jefferson. Okay. But that is the the, uh, situation. You're sent to the holding cell throughout history, and it's not till the end of history that then the unbelievers are raised. They're given new bodies to be able to endure eternal judgment. But it's a, uh, a continual death, and they are cast into the lake of fire, which burns forever. So the first two guys there are the false prophet and the antichrist at the end of the tribulation. And then we see in Revelation 20, verse 10, it says, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Forever and ever is a long time. In fact, it's, it's, it's a biblical way of saying eternity. And I think hell or the lake of fire is both physical and obviously it's a result of this type of physicality. Uh, and I think there's actual fire and brimstone and all of that kind of stuff that uh, creates a mental issue as well. Some people want to re- get away with the physical and it's just some kind of mental torment or something like that. No, it's both and. And then we see in Revelation 13, 13, it says, and he, referring to the false prophet, performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. Now, what's significant about that is that is something like uh, you saw, uh, was it Elijah? I forget, you know, in the Old Testament that was able to do this. So he's doing counterfeit miracles to try to support the Antichrist as, as that. Now, in the Old Testament, you had what I call two truth tests. In Deuteronomy 18, it says that if a prophet or a dreamer or a dream comes to you and he does something and it doesn't, or he gives a prophecy and it doesn't come to pass, then you know he's a false prophet. Okay, but the second truth test is Deuteronomy 13, which says if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you, and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes true. Concerning which he spoke to you saying, in other words, he's probably not going to say this directly, but in essence, this is the content of what he's saying. Let us go after other gods whom you have not known, and let us serve them. 
So this is my point, that it's the content of ultimately what someone says or teaches, not whether they can do miracles or not. Uh, it says, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And so a guy can apparently do, to some degree, miracles. Apparently those Egyptians priests did that in the days of Moses. And then we see in Matthew 24, 24, where it says, For false Christ, the false messiahs, and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders. See, that, that's the language used for the Lord, signs and wonders, and the apostles. So as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Now, I believe the term elect here is used three times in Matthew 24. I think it always refers to Jewish believers there uh, in the tribulation period. Uh, and so he, it, he's saying if it were possible, and it's not possible in this instance during the tribulation to deceive the elect. So 2 Thessalonians 2.9 says that lawless one, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, see? So he's doing things that are viewed and probably are to some degree similar to what Christ did. And uh, so back to verse 14 in Revelation 13, it says, and he deceives those who dwell on the earth, talking about the false prophet. See, notice it focuses on the, the earth dwellers, that, that term it's used 11 times, to, always to refer to unbelievers. And so he, in a sense, is being used to draw out unbelievers, if you will, through the false ministry that he has because of the signs which it was given him to perform in the presence of the beast. Uh, telling those who dwell on the earth, there's that phrase, earth dweller again, to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. See, there's a second time uh, that that term is used of him. And I, once again, take that literally. Uh, and we see something similar in, in Daniel chapter 3. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold, the height of which was 60 cubits, and its width, six, six cubits. He sets it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And so you see this attraction to, you know, 666, six, in this case, later on, 666. Six, six. And that would be, if it was that size, it would be a very unstable, very long and narrow type image there. And you see the three Hebrew children, as they're called, uh, Apparently Daniel wasn't around, and when they blow the trumpet, you're supposed to bow down and worship uh, that image, which represented uh, the king. And they, they wouldn't do it, so they're thrown in the fiery furnace, and of course they are preserved. And he said, I see a fourth person in there, which was the angel of the Lord, very likely the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, who rescued them. And when they got, took them out, they didn't even smell a smoke or anything. You know, God had totally protected them. So it, it's a similar type test at a, at a global level during the tribulation. 
And then we see in verse 15, and there was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast. So here you see, uh, it was given to him. I wonder who gave that to him. God is the only one. that the image of the beast might even speak and cause as many as do worship the image of the beast to be killed, who do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Now, obviously a person who has not been regenerate from the Holy Spirit during this time is going to fall for this. I mean, this is going to be an actual miracle. You can imagine uh, think of perhaps yourself before you were a believer or some of your unbelieving friends. I mean, this is going to be on the news constantly, uh, assuming that they're able to have uh, electronics working in the middle of the tribulation, you know, which we don't know that they will. But this is going to be an amazing event that's going to be proof that this guy is the Messiah, but he's the Antichrist. And so... This is an intensification of the pattern of Nebuchadnezzar's statue in Daniel 3. There the statue remains lifeless and mute while the king's herald sounds the royal command to bow down uh, or face death. Here the statue itself is given breath. And that, you know, that's the idea of God breathing into Adam the breath of life. And he, and he became a living soul. It says a person who's alive to pronounce the demand for all to worship the beast. Could something like this occur in our lifetime in our country? Well, obviously, if the rapture occurs, something like that could happen in our lifetime and in our country. Because obviously, I know everyone here has noticed the trend of the last two years away from anything. They totally censor anything that relates to Christianity or the Bible or anything like that. You just got to cut that out. And we see that uh, unbelievers have control of the media to the extent that they can accomplish that nowadays. And in chapter 13, verse 16, it says, and he causes all the small and the great, the rich and the poor, and free men and slaves to be given a mark on their right hand or their forehead. So this, the mark of the beast, which doesn't start at the beginning of the tribulation, but starts at the midpoint of the tribulation, is given on your right hand or your forehead. Some people will probably want it in both places, you know. Uh, They're so proud to take it. But nevertheless, it's the right hand or forehand. Forehead. So the mark of the beast... um, the Greek preposition is epi, which means upon in the genitive case as it's used here. So it cannot be a chip underneath the skin. That is very popular in prophecy land today. But so it has to be a mark upon, and the, the phrase mark is like a brand or a tattoo, as, as that term is used throughout the Bible. But it may be that in conjunction with the mark that maybe they are going to put some electronic chip under your skin or something like that. But that's not the mark, even though that's very popular in stuff that you read out there in what I call prophecy land. 
And so that is the mark of the beast, that brand or a tattoo. Six, and, and it spells it out, 660 and 6. So all are forced to accept on the pattern of the first century branding of slaves or animals that certifies their loyalty to the beast. And this mark is mentioned five additional times in Revelation and is always cited together with the term worship of him on the part that receive it. So the sinister mark contrasts with the divine seal now uh, that is that the 144,000 receive on their foreheads as a sign of God's protection. And apparently that seal is invisible. But there is a seal that God uses to protect 144,000. I'm sure when they speak of that tomorrow, they will explain all of this in depth. But the 144,000 are sealed on their foreheads. And those are the Jewish evangelists that will be preaching all around the world. Verse 17 says, and he provides that no one should be able to buy or sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. And, you know, I've watched a lot of prophecy movies about the tribulation and everything. And, you know, how are people going to survive if they can't get that? I don't know. Uh, but apparently believers are going to survive because there are believers that greet Christ at the second coming. Even though probably hundreds of millions of believers will be killed during the tribulation, as Revelation 7 seems to indicate. But this is how strict it's going to be. You cannot buy or sell unless you have the mark. And uh, some of y'all may want to make movies about this, figure out how it's going to work. And then we see in verse 18, it says, here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for the number is that of a man, So six is the number of a man, apparently. Seven is God's number. Uh, And his number is 666. And so that is never quite reaches seven, if you want to look at it that way. And that's why he chooses this mark. So the Antichrist mark is identified with his person, it's 666, not three sixes that equal 18, if you will. Uh, it's the actual number, 666, not a representation. Not, uh, certain people today have some stylistic representation of it, but it's that number. Uh, a mark, as I've already said, is like a brand or a tattoo based on the, the vocabulary used in the Bible. It's visible to the naked eye. It's on you, not in you, as I've said. It's recognized and not questioned. Uh, You know, I've gotten mail over the years of people wondering if, because uh, they had some number or something related, like maybe their address was 666 or something, you know. Uh, Or you live in Kansas where your zip code is... 666, uh, tied in, or something like that, that somehow they were involved with the mark of the beast. No, it's the midpoint of the tribulation and the second half. You could, in fact, there, there's a tattoo shop in London called 666 Tattoo Shop. I saw that on the internet a number of years ago. 
And you could have that number tattooed on you today and you could still become a believer because you're not in the second half of the tribulation. Probably you wouldn't if you <laughs> went with that, but nevertheless. And so it's voluntarily not accidental. It's used after the rapture, not before. It's used in the second half of the tribulation. It's needed to buy and sell. So it's involved with commerce. It's universally received by all non-Christians in the second half, but universally rejected by all Christians. And the mark of worship and allegiance to the Antichrist, that's the purpose of it. You're showing he's my guy. It's kind of like wearing a campaign button, I guess, except a little more permanent. It's promoted by the false prophet, and that's the point. It's in this section that ends here in Revelation 13 about the false prophet. So he's the guy that promotes it. And it's a definite sign that a person will face eternal punishment in the lake of fire if one takes that in the second half of the tribulation. So it's very, very clear. And so the false prophet is that guy that's going to help out the Antichrist as his publicity guy. And so that's basically uh, an overview of what that's like. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for what you've revealed in Scripture. It's amazing how you get into the tribulation period and there's such a volume of Scripture that talks about this. And we know that uh, you have a specific plan for history. You're going to let this world uh, appear to be in total rebellion against you so that Satan thinks that he is going to take Christ's place and rule over the world. But it's going to be short-lived. And yes... It appears that we are nearing that time by circumstances that are are, uh, developing in the world in which we live. And I pray, however, this will motivate us to preach the gospel even more fervently and to live for you and be involved in spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. And we ask this in his name. Amen.